0: Alright, last week we, um, we began our series on how a disciple and how this church treasures Christ instead of money. Um, and we looked specifically at how our view of money has to change in order for us to come to Christ. That if we can't let go of money, then we can't really come to Christ. And we looked at two different scenarios that scripture gives us. We looked at the rich young ruler... Who came to Christ and asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And we see Jesus dialoguing with him and telling him that he needs to go and sell everything and come follow Christ. And we see the rich young ruler basically saying, I I can't do that. I've got way too much. I'm I'm relying too much on my money and I'm not willing to let go of that. And we see him walk away sad, but indeed walk away from a relationship with Christ. And then we see Jesus instructing his disciples and saying that it's very hard and really implies it's impossible for a rich man to come to Christ. And he follows that statement up by saying what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so we're, we're given encouragement that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can break our love and our attachment to the things of this world. But it's only through God's grace that that happens. That left in our own condition, money and possessions will always, always be something that we cling very tightly to. And then right after that, right after that, Luke is, is very encouraging to us and gives us another scenario where a man who, who is equally rich maybe as the rich young ruler seeks out Christ, Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to his town, Zacchaeus seeks him out that they go home and eat together. We don't have the luxury of knowing how that conversation went. We don't know if Zacchaeus posed the exact same question and said, what do I need to do for eternal life? We don't know how that happened, what what exactly happened in that setting. But we know that by the end of the conversation, Zacchaeus has given his life to Christ. He responds and says, I'm giving away all my stuff. I'm going to give back to people that I stole from. People that I haven't stole from that are just in need, I'm going to give money to them too. And we see Jesus respond and say, salvation has come to this house. Jesus doesn't say that Zacchaeus is saved because he cried when he shared the gospel with him. He doesn't say that Zacchaeus is saved because he he prayed a prayer or he came down to an altar or he said he wanted to to do anything. Jesus says, this guy is saved because I I can see an evidence that, that he no longer loves his previous life. That he's willing to give everything away if necessary to follow me. So we said that in order to come to Christ, we have to see money differently. We have to see it differently. It's it's no longer what gives us joy and satisfaction and happiness and security. That there's somebody, Jesus, who's worth giving our money up for. So we started off last week by saying that a disciple sees money differently. When we come to Christ, we have to see our money differently. There has to be a... Um, a high view of Christ and what he makes available to us. This week we're looking at how a disciple needs money differently. He sees money differently when he comes to Christ. Once he comes to Christ, he now on a daily basis needs money differently than he did before Christ. He needs money differently before, now that he's come to Christ. Before we get into that today, I wanted to give you some, um, some prerequisites, I guess, in, in approaching Scripture and what it has to say about money, there's some things that we need to make sure we understand up front before we continue in this study, or else our thought process and our understanding is going to be off from what Scripture wants to teach us. Okay, so a couple things here. Um, I need to copy this message. they a little different. All right, number one here. We are to steward money as worship rather than give legalistically. We are to steward money as worship rather than give legalistically. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 gives us a picture of the, the attitude that we're to have in giving. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What we're going to see in the New Testament is that we are not, we're not given strict guidelines about how much money to give. What we're going to find is that God, especially in the New Testament, never advocates prosperity or poverty. Like the New Testament doesn't teach that one of them is better than the other, that we're to pursue one over the other. It just gives us guidelines that are usually applicable no matter how much money you have. The principles that the New Testament gives us are for poor people and for rich people. So God doesn't necessarily advocate prosperity or poverty. It's not that that one is more desirable than the other, and we're not to give in a legalistic manner. We don't come to this study and say, okay, what I'm looking to learn is how much money am I supposed to give to the church? How much money am I supposed to give to other people so that I can go ahead and get that into my budget and be done with that area of my life? We're not going to find strict guidelines that we're supposed to meet as God's disciples. Number two, to strive to be poor for guilty or self-righteous reasons is an attack on the gospel. To strive to be poor for guilty or self-righteous reasons is an attack on the gospel. We've got to make sure we understand that we do not give our stuff away. We do not give money away in an attempt to find favor with God. We don't strive to be poor because we feel guilty that we have a lot of money. And that it's wrong to have a lot of money. We don't strive to be poor. We don't try to put ourselves into a poor situation for self-righteous reasons. Now, putting put in my notes, you can never give away enough to be acceptable in God's eyes. Make sure you drill that into your head today. You can never give enough money away to be acceptable in In God's eyes. If we're not careful, we read books like Radical and Crazy Love and some of these other books that have come out, and we begin to think that the way to earn favor with God, the way to be holy, is to give everything away. And we very quickly develop a legalistic mindset that to have things is bad and to not have things is holy. And it's important that we remember that Jesus was radical enough for us that God hasn't placed some type of, of, um, of expectation on us that if we want to go to heaven, we've got to be radical. Okay? We don't earn favor with God through that. Number three, God commands us about money so we can enjoy the best life. God commands us about money So that we can enjoy the best life. John 10.10 talks about Jesus coming to give us the abundant life. He comes to give us the abundant life. Which means that God doesn't give us commands in scripture for us to earn our justification. We don't look at guidelines in scripture about giving to poor people. Or giving to the church and think that in our effort to give, that we earn justification. Commands in Scripture are not designed for us to earn our salvation. A lot of times we we may not verbalize that, but a lot of times we fall back into thinking that, that. That I have to be obedient to what Scripture says because I'm trying to earn favor with God. And we lose sight of the fact that Christ has already done everything that Scripture commands to us and demands of us. That it's done, it's finished. That Christ accomplished everything in his perfect life. Christ gave everything that needed to be given for our salvation. So why are there still commands in Scripture? Why are we still told to do things and told not to do other things? It's because God's commands are given to us so that this life is the best life possible. He doesn't just make up arbitrary things and tell us to do this and don't do this because he's in charge and he can just make up the rules. God has very carefully looked at His creation, and He instructs us on how He has designed creation to function. And so what Scripture is revealing to us is that if we follow the commands given to us in Scripture, we will enjoy this earth to the fullest. That this earth is a better place if people don't hang on to everything that they have and don't share it with others. That the world is a better place when we give of our money to other people that are in need. So it's important that we see commands in Scripture as a a pathway to the best life here on earth. They're not ways for us to earn our justification. The things that God gives us are good, not evil. The things that God gives us are good, not evil. 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 4 and 5 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Cars aren't a bad thing. Buying a house isn't a bad thing. The things that God makes available to us in creation are not evil things. To find our joy and satisfaction in them is evil. To elevate them above the giver is evil. But there's nothing inherently evil about owning a car. There's nothing inherently evil about owning a computer. There's nothing inherently evil about owning a game system. There's nothing inherently evil about going out and eating with your family. If we're not careful, we can become so miserable because we think that everything that that would bring us joy or satisfaction must be wrong if it's not Christ. We have to understand that God has given us creation to enjoy He expects us to enjoy this earth and he's giving us resources to do that. We receive them with thanksgiving. We don't elevate them too highly in our life. Next. Well, I've got a couple of things that aren't in your notes. Love for money is a sin nature problem and the freedom from money is a salvation solution. 2 Peter 2.14 talks about lost people being trained in greed. When we're brought into this earth We are are already trained, equipped, and professionals at being greedy. When you were first born, you were greedy with with things that you thought that that you owned. As a kid, toys were yours. If somebody else wanted your toy, that became an issue. You were already trained in being greedy. It's part of the sin nature that we inherit from Adam and Eve. We're trained in, in greediness. So we come into this earth already infected with a money problem. And salvation is the solution to that problem. Okay? Um, next, God doesn't ask us to give money because he needs it. God doesn't ask us to give money because he needs it. We've got to understand that as we move towards sharing a budget with you guys for this church, that we are not proposing a budget because God needs our money. Psalm chapter uh, 50, verses 10 through 12, talks about how God owns everything. He says, I wouldn't even tell you if I was hungry because I don't need you to give me anything to satisfy my hunger. God says, I don't need anything from you. So God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish whether we give of our money or not. We're not proposing a budget and the only way that God's going to reach the is if we give our resources to this church, God doesn't need them. Okay? God doesn't need anything from us. And lastly, in your notes, how we choose to, to use money will determine whether we have chosen to serve God or money. A decision must be made concerning whether we will serve God or money. Matthew 6.24 says you can't serve both, right? We looked at that a little bit last week. You can't serve God... And money. 1 John 2.15 talks about friendship with the world. It means you're an enemy of God. You can't, you can't be in both camps. So how we use money will determine what decision we've made. To know whether or not you have chosen to serve Christ or money, you need to look no further than how you use your money. Do you use your money for the things of this world? Or do you use your money for the things that we're going to look at in the coming weeks? How you use your money will determine what decision you already made in your heart about whether you're going to serve God or money. i have given you some passages here um, to look at Luke 16, 19-31 is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, you've got the rich man who, who's got everything, Lazarus who sits outside his gate and is poor, and we see both of them die. And we see both of them dialoguing in, in the eternal state, about what happened in the previous life. What you'll find in Scripture is that a lot of times how things are right now on earth get flipped in the afterlife. That should be a a, a strong warning to us. A lot of times in Scripture you see how things are now gets radically flipped in the afterlife. People who have everything here have nothing in the afterlife, People who have nothing here have everything in the afterlife. That should be a strong warning to us to examine how we're using what we have. I'll read a couple more passages to you. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. You see what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians? Don't miss this. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians that love of money or greed is a church discipline issue. Now, I put in my notes, we would rightly question the salvation of someone who continually engaged in sexual immorality, despite all the commands in Scripture against it. Like if, if, if we were to describe somebody who, who is, who is um, claiming to be a Christian but is just rampantly involved in sexual immorality, like engaged in all type of sexual immorality, not waiting till marriage, um, not keeping themselves pure, then we would have, we would have every right from Scripture to, to encourage that person, hey, you need to repent of this sin. And to have someone continually say, no, I'm not going to repent of this sin would be a church discipline issue. Right? Like, we would would continue to call them to repentance. We would continue to ask them to to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading. And then according to Matthew 18, if they continued to resist that repentance, we would remove them from the church and treat them like an unbeliever. And and I know in conversations with, with, with you guys, people that we care about a lot, we've had to to speculate how are we going to continue to minister to so-and-so. Are they a Christian or are they not a Christian based on how they're living? Do they need to be called to repentance or do they need the gospel? And we've had profitable conversations about that. Paul says the same type of conversations need to happen about people that are greedy with their money. Now, we don't have a real good guideline to know when someone is greedy and isn't greedy. Like if I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you think you're greedy? Like we're probably not going to all throw our hands up because, what do you mean by greedy? You know, like we don't have like a clear set checklist to know if we're greedy or not. But I think we need to pursue a deeper knowledge of what it means to be greedy because we're supposed to be people that aren't greedy now that we're saved. We're supposed to be free from the love of money, the New Testament says. So those are some guidelines that I think we need to make sure we understand before we really get into this. That when we talk about money, this... This this aspect of giving has absolutely nothing to do with our justification. Christ has already given everything necessary to save us. Instead, how we use our money shows it shows that we've chosen to serve Christ instead of this world. It's not about justification. It's not about giving stuff to God that he needs. It's not about trying to be poor cuz that's better. It's just about using our money responsibly to bring glory and honor to Christ. Okay? Now, getting into this idea of a disciple needs money differently. The major shift in the New Testament involves things no longer being necessary for happiness. We don't shun possessions and money because they are bad. They just mean something different now. David Platt has talked about this before. For those of you that have gone through his um, secret church stuff on possessions In the Old Testament, the way the Old Covenant worked is you had more of this come and see approach that God uses to reach the nations. God pours out unbelievable blessing on the children of Israel, allows them to overcome nation after nation after nation. They're able to construct this huge temple where God's presence dwells. You've got, even during the time of Solomon, other foreign leaders coming to see what Solomon has. And to understand the God that has given it to him. The Queen of Sheba comes to observe all this wealth that Solomon has. In the Old Testament, it's more of a come and see approach. In the New Testament, you have more of a go and tell approach. We're not, we're not to, to view it as though lost people come to us and see what we have, it's we go and tell lost people. We go and disciple the nations. There's a major shift in the New Testament. That we're not staying where we are. Instead, we're going and telling. And when you have that approach, you need a lot less. When you're constantly on the move, you don't need as much. That's a major shift in the New Testament. And we see over and over again that things are not necessary for our happiness. First thing in your notes here. A disciple learns that God provides for his needs, not money. God provides for our needs, not money. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. It's God who gives us the power to make money. God is the source uh, of what we need, not money in and of itself. Hosea chapter 3 verse or 13 verse 6. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Here's a picture of Israel getting their needs met and forgetting the source of where their needs are met. They, they lose sight of the fact that it's God who gives to them. They become fat and full. And they begin to glory in what they have as opposed to the one who has given them what they need. Next, you've got um, Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. James 1.17 talks about God being the, the source of every good gift. He's the Father of life, and every good gift comes from Him. So we see this picture in Scripture, and a disciple needs to learn this. As we come to Christ, as we begin to be sanctified, as we begin to become more and more holy, Holy Spirit's working inside of us, we need to learn the lesson that it's God who meets our needs, not money. And we hear that, we confirm that, we say, yeah, that's true, but we don't live like that regularly. There's still this mindset that we have to have money for our needs to be met. Money's the source in our economy for how you meet your needs. And to a degree, we do have to have money to to have what we need. But we're not the source of getting that money. God God is the one who gives us the power to even make money. God's the one who gives you the physical ability to get up and go to your job every day. That could immediately be taken away in a car accident where no longer you have the physical ability to work. It's God who gives and God who meets our needs, not money. Secondly, the disciple learns to work as an act of worship to God and for the good of others, not for selfish reasons. When we get saved, we're to have a totally new perspective about going to work. We're not going to work to ultimately earn money to meet our needs for what we want. Work is to become an act of worship. And it's also to become a means of how we do good to other people. Look at what um, John 6.27 says. John 6.27 Do not labor for the food that perishes, But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So overall, our perspective daily is we don't labor for food that perishes, we labor for the food that doesn't perish. We have an eternal life perspective, not a here and now perspective. So as a disciple, we learn this idea that I don't get up and work every day ultimately to get stuff to meet my needs. I do it as an act of worship, and I do it for the good of others. We see this idea continued in Acts twenty thirty five. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a new perspective on work. I'm working so that I can bless others, not so I can satisfy my needs, not so I can satisfy myself. Ephesians 4.28 This is a this is a passage that if you're just reading it for the first time, you expect it to go a certain way, and then it, it goes even further than you would expect. It says, Let the thief no longer steal. Okay? So stop taking stuff from other people. Right? Like, that's not fair. That's not that's not a good way to live. That that breaks down a secure, peaceful feeling for others. So As we come to Christ, we begin to submit to what Exodus says. Don't don't steal from other people. Don't even covet what other people have. Instead, let labor. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And then you would almost expect it to say so that you can take care of what you need rather than having to steal it. But Paul goes further and says so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul says, quit stealing stuff from other people. Start working hard, start laboring, start making money so you can take care of yourself, but even more so so that you can take care of other people that would be compelled to steal. He goes further with it. He says, work in such a way that you have enough to give away to other people. Don't just budget and work and construct your family finances so that everything that you need is taken care of. Look at what you bring in and realize that it's better to give than to receive from your employer. Structure your budget in such a way so that you can give to other people. 1 Timothy 5, eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, the responsibility to work, to take care of other people. Number three, a disciple learns the difference between need and want and believes that God will provide what is needed. Disciple learns the difference between need and want and believes that God will provide what is needed. Let's talk about what we actually need to live. What do we need? What are the what are the basic needs that we have in order to continue existing? What are they? Food, water, what? Shelter. Shelter. Clothing. Sleep. Air. We need air to breathe. Thankfully, air is free. You know, we don't have to. We don't have to pay the air company to continue getting fresh, fresh oxygen pump, pumped into our area. Air is free. For the most part, when you think about it, water is free. Now, if you live in a house or an apartment, you know you have to pay a water bill. But in reality, the water that you need to survive is free. If you were suddenly cast out of your current living situation... You could find enough water for free to live off of. When I was studying at Chick-fil-A this week, this, this guy who, um, from all visible purposes, is a homeless guy, comes in, um, doesn't seem to be all mentally there, walks right up to the register. A, a girl walks by and says, you here for your water. And he said, yeah. I mean, he's pouring sweat. I mean, he just came off the street. He's hot looking. I mean, just like I'm sitting there just looking at him, and he's making me feel extremely hot. They get his water, give it to him, and he walks right out the door. No, no purchase necessary. He you know, walks in and gets his free complimentary water. You can get water to survive for free in our, in our economy, in our culture. Um, we have unfortunately taken things that are luxuries and made them needs. In fact, when you hear, when you hear Jesus teach, Jesus doesn't even include shelter as a need. He says, if need be, you can sleep in the woods. Shelter's not actually a basic need. Which means we have a lot of luxuries. You know, a, a bed is not a need. It's a luxury. A pillow is not a need. It's a luxury. It's a nice luxury. It's something that, that we typically say we need. I mean, back when we were playing a winter retreats and stuff, I had to very meticulously look at the place we were going and make sure that there were enough beds for everybody to sleep in. Why? Because our mindset is not it's okay for all of us to sleep on the floor, right? Like we've elevated like beds are a need for a trip. A disciple has to differentiate between what a need is and what a want is. Jesus gives us some instruction about this. Because says, we must learn to identify our needs based on what is needed to do God's work. Luke chapter 12. Um, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you to whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Here, we're instructed by Jesus, hey, you don't need to worry about your daily needs. You don't need to fear your daily needs, because in the same way God takes care of of small aspects of creation like a bird, He's going to take care of you. So He reinforces that, that we don't have a reason to worry because our needs are going to be taken care of, and He gives examples from creation. Skip down to verse 22. He said to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So he says, Your basic needs that you're going to worry about are food and clothing. He doesn't say anything about shelter. Doesn't say anything about luxuries. He just says, Every day you're going to need to determine how am I going to eat and what am I going to put on. And I would say clothing isn't essential. Once it's ordained by God in the garden after sin. I mean, he makes it a necessity by, by constructing clothes to give to Adam and Eve. It, it, depending on what environment you're living in, a lot of times clothing is necessary to live. I mean, you couldn't live in Georgia probably year round without clothing. I mean, it, it gets cold here, not real cold, but there are some nights where I don't know that you would make it long term without clothing. And Jesus admits that these are needs. He says, I recognize that you need food. I recognize that you need clothing, but so do birds. And then he pictures the flower, and he says, look, I'm faithful to take care of these. I'm surely going to take care of my children. He says, verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Make sure you get this connection. He says, "Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear because that's what lost people worry about and it consumes their time." He says a lost person has no promise that they're going to have food tomorrow or clothing tomorrow. So they have to work very hard today to make sure their needs are met for tomorrow. But Jesus says, "I'm giving you I'm giving you a, a secret here. Your needs are going to be met tomorrow." So seek the kingdom. Do things for God. Use your time for gospel purposes and don't worry about what your needs are for tomorrow because I got that. I got this. I kind of got this picture of... of, of um, you might have like a, a couple who's wanting to go out to eat for the night and they've got kids so they call in a babysitter and, and you can almost see like the, the sense of worry on a mother... Mother's face as she begins to give like instructions like, hey, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. And it can be very comforting for the babysitter to just look at the mom and the dad and say, I got this. Like, y'all go have a good time. You don't even need to think twice about what's going to happen here at the house with the kids. They're completely taken care of. And if a mom and dad can get that mindset, they can go that night and they can eat and they can go to a movie. And they cannot even think about what's going on at home. Because they know that the, what's at home is totally secure by the babysitter. That's the picture that we get from Jesus here to his disciples. He says, "Do not worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. You came to me, you gave up this world. I'm going to take care of you." So in a sense, God is saying, "I got this. You be preoccupied with pursuing the kingdom, making disciples. You worry about making disciples, I'll worry about things like food and clothing. That ought to be an extreme comfort to us. That God has that portion of our life taken care of. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hopefully some of you were able to read through this this week. This is the passage that I told you to to be concentrating on. Verse 6 it says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing; we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul says, "All we're looking for, or as a disciple, all we should be looking for, is food and clothing. If I wake up today and I've got something to eat and something to wear, I should be good to go. As a follower of Christ, if I've got something to eat and something to wear, everything else is bonus." Get in a car, bonus. Air condition, bonus. Additional meals for today, bonus. An extra change of clothes today, bonus. All I need is food and clothing. Paul says, with these things we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul seems to allude that to worry about anything besides food and clothing, which really shouldn't be a worry, but to focus on anything beyond food and clothing as a need, as a source of contentment, could potentially lead you to wander away from Christ forever. He says some people who pursue rich things Have wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many pains. That should be a strong warning to us that we've got to seek to find contentment with what we need, which is food and clothing. God promises to take care of us, to give us what we need to do His work. To feel like we need anything more than that could result in us wandering away from Christ. Number two, we must learn that God is just as concerned with our daily needs as we are. Knowing that he has taken care of those needs frees us up to pursue his kingdom. God doesn't downplay. He doesn't say, guys, for real, you don't really need something to wear. Like, quit worrying about your clothing. He doesn't come out and say, you guys eat way too much. You don't need to worry about food. You can easily go many days without food, so quit worrying about if you got anything to eat today. No, God comes out and says, look, I know you need stuff to wear, and I know you need stuff to eat, and I'm going to take care of that. Now, I think it's important that we understand this isn't a blanket promise. That God will always give us food and clothing the way that we think we need it. I mean, there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today that are starving to death. You're starving to death. We're given a promise in Scripture and we're given a fulfillment in Scripture that is maybe a fulfillment in, in a way that we're not thinking when we read this passage. But in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, this is future. This is Christ coming back. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Here's the ultimate fulfillment. When Jesus says, I'm going to give you what you need to wear, and I'm going to give you what you need to eat. He says, as a disciple, you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where you will eat for eternity and you will be clothed for eternity with the things that matter. You'll be clothed in the righteousness that is required to enter into heaven. You will feast with Jesus Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the promise is true for everybody. Jesus is going to give us what we need to eat and what we need to wear. It may not always be on this earth though. <clears throat> think broader when we think about God's provision. God's provision. Don't limit God's provision to just the here and now. Think about it in long-term effects. All right, next. A disciple learns to be content with necessities and cautious with excess. A disciple learns to be content with necessities and cautious with excess. Make sure you start this verse right here. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 7, there's a, um, a video blog that you can watch on YouTube, I think it's on YouTube, where Francis Chan says, I dare you to pray this prayer. It says, two things I ask of you. This is the, the guy writing Proverbs, praying to God. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see what he's praying here? He's saying, God, please don't give me too much. Don't give me more than I need. Because if I have more than I need, I might be like the Israelites in Hosea who got so full that they forgot God. They began to look around and say, I got everything I need. This is, this is all I need. I got everything. I, I've worked for this. I've earned this. This is mine. We become like the rich guy who, who continued to build bigger bank accounts to put all his money in. The guy in Proverbs says, please don't give me that much. Can you imagine praying that? God, please don't give me too much money. I don't want the temptation of forgetting you. But then he says, don't give me too little so that I'm tempted to steal and make your name look bad as though you can't provide for your family, for your children. It's a startling prayer. I mean, imagine if it gets answered, then all you might get is food and clothing. We've already seen you might not really need shelter. So to pray this prayer, to apply this scripture, you, you, you might have to give up a lot of luxury. But there's there's spiritual implications here. I don't want too much because I don't want to forget God. I don't want too little not because it invades, but make sure you get this. He says, I don't want, don't give me too little because then like that will be uncomfortable for me. He doesn't say that I don't want to be uncomfortable. He says, I don't want you to look bad. I don't want me to do something that will make you look bad. Starting, Startling prayer. I would encourage you to, to, to think about that and to meditate on that passage. Um, number one, we must learn to value spiritual progress over material progress. We won't look at this, but I encourage you to read Philippians 4, uh, starting in verse 10 through the rest of the passage. That's the passage we looked at when we went through Philippians about contentment. Remember in 10 through 13 where Paul commends the church in Philippi and he says, You guys sent me money and I'm so excited. And he follows that excitement up by saying, I'm so excited because you guys are growing spiritually in a way that causes you to give me money. Paul doesn't say, man, I'm so excited because you guys wrote me a check and I really needed the check. And I'm just so glad that I've got cash in my hand right now. Paul gets a check, an unexpected check in the mail that's probably going to meet some of his needs. And he says, man, I'm so excited because those guys are getting it. Those guys are growing spiritually. Paul is more concerned about spiritual progress than material progress. He's more concerned about someone getting it spiritually than him getting money. It's important that we understand that as a disciple. Spiritual progress is more important than material progress. We must learn to rejoice when someone meets a need of ours because they are showing spiritual growth in the area of money. Not because we're getting money. Number two, we must learn to pray in response to our daily financial worry, recognizing that only God can provide the peace and security we long for. If you back up in Philippians 4, remember it says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, be prayerful about everything. We don't worry about our daily needs. We pray about our daily needs to a God who already knows our daily needs. But the way we find contentment, the secret to contentment, is knowing that we serve a God who's completely in control of our life. And I I, I told you that it's basically getting to the point where you live outside of your circumstances. That as your circumstances change, your perspective on life doesn't. Because Paul says, remember, he says, I've learned to be content with abounding. When I've got just tons of money coming in, I'm content. And when I have no money coming in, I'm content. And I told you what's what's crazy about that is that Paul's saying, My joy is unaffected. Whether you call me and tell me I've got a million dollars because I just won the lottery, or you call me and tell me that all my socks just fell through and my bank just got seized. And I'm losing my house. And my car just broke down. He says, my joy doesn't change. My perspective on life doesn't change if you call me and tell me I just won the lottery. Or you call me and tell me I just lost everything. He says, I live outside of that. I live outside of that. My joy is found in a God who doesn't change. Which is number three. We must learn to trust in a sovereign God who is constant, unchanging, unchanging. And good. We can be satisfied with either subtraction or addition in our lives. Knowing that our safety. Our safety is not found in the things of this world. But in a God who works for our good. And never leaves us. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. I love this passage. And I love it because you've got to think about what this really means. The author of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, what does that have to do with money? Well, it's relevant because money does leave us. Money does forsake us. Money does fail to deliver at times. The things that we buy fail us. Matt Chandler, I was listening to a sermon this week by him. He said that at best, a lot of the stuff that you have right now is 15 years away from being in the dump. The things that you own right now are at best about 15 years from the dump. Think about it. Most of the stuff that you own right now, you probably didn't own 15 years ago. And with the exception of some big items like maybe a house and and some big pieces of furniture, most of the stuff you own right now, you won't own in 15 years. These two gadgets right here, I don't expect to have in my possession 15 years from now. It forsakes us. It leaves us. The author of Hebrews says, free yourself from loving this kind of stuff because it goes away. Remember that Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's why he needs to become our treasure. Because He's the lasting treasure. He's the fulfilling treasure. He's the satisfying treasure. He meets our needs when money, which is supposed to meet our needs, doesn't always meet our needs. It doesn't. Jesus always does. He's faithful to meet our needs. All right, and lastly, we'll fly through this. A disciple learns that the benefits of following Christ far outweigh anything this world can offer. A disciple learns that the benefits of following Christ far outweigh anything this world can offer Psalm chapter 73 25 and 26 Whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire that I desire besides you My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart And my portion forever. He is to be all satisfying to us. Above anything this world offers. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This coming from a man who had everything this world could offer. Solomon. He says it won't satisfy. I mean take it from a guy who had all the money. We don't have all the money. And we might mistakenly think at times. If I had a little bit more then I'd be good to go. Like, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Solomon says, you can get it all. You can get it all, and it still doesn't bring satisfaction. Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul says, I count everything as worthless in comparison to knowing Christ. I love um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse... Uh, Twenty-four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Paul or, or, or Moses recognizes that that everything that Egypt could offer, everything that Egypt could offer, was going to fail him in the end. Like it, it would be good for the time. But in the long run, it wasn't going to pay off. We see Moses willingly step out of Egypt. I mean, if you've seen the Ten Commandments or um, Prince of I've never seen Prince of Egypt, so I don't know how biblically accurate it is. Ten Commandments has got a lot of additional stuff. But the idea of Moses going from, most likely, the equivalent of a prince in Egypt to a slave is very accurate. Giving up what, what Egypt had. Being served to become a servant, to go to his people, an awful lot like what Christ did, leaving heaven, Philippians 2, being served, being glorified, being honored by angels, coming as a servant and being ridiculed for the good of the people, which is what Moses did as a, as a precursor to Christ. But Moses recognized that things in this world won't last. And then 1 Timothy 6, which you guys were hopefully reading through this week, Verse 11. But as for you, O oh man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Doesn't say pursue a big house. Doesn't say produce, or pursue a, a good portfolio, which, by the way, I have no idea what a portfolio is. No. Um, no idea, really. Um. Just fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of, the, of that which is truly life. We're going to look at that more next week, how a disciple invests money differently. But here, just kind of getting into that, Paul reminds us, he says, you pursue the things that matter. You let God worry about the things that you need. You pursue the things that matter. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. The one and only sovereign king of this universe is coming back. And you get ready for it. And then I give you a list of things here that Christ gives us that are way better than money. And I put in my notes, most people wish they could buy the things on this list and they fail to realize they're free. Most people wish they could buy this stuff and they fail to realize it's free. The first one, forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. Catholic Church made a a big time buck on this back in the Middle Ages maybe. Um, Selling indulgences. Hey, you can get people out of hell. You can get people forgiveness for their sins if you buy this certificate from the church. They were selling forgiveness of sins. And scripture repeatedly tells us that it's a free offering from Christ because he's already paid everything for us. There are people all over this planet that are banking on the fact that good works get them to heaven. If you, like the rich young ruler, could tell them you pay this amount and you'll be forgiven of your sins, would most likely pay to have their sins forgiven. Number two, perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness Jesus is perfect for us. We can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's available to us when we come to Christ. Number 3, continual access to a Father who rewards. Continual access to a Father who rewards. Hebrews 11:6 says that we can approach a God who rewards those who seek him. We don't need a priest. We see this fully illustrated when Christ dies on the cross. The curtain is ripped in two. The Holy of Holies is now exposed for everybody. Everybody has access to God who's had their sins forgiven by Christ. We have full access to a Father who can give us everything that we need. Number four, all things in your life working for good, Romans eight Don't ever minimize the importance of that passage, that every single thing that happens in your life is for your good if you're a follower of Christ. Number five, no reason to worry or feel anxiety. Philippians 4, 6. We don't have to worry. We've been freed from worry if we choose to live in that reality. We don't have anything to worry about for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. It will be taken care of by a sovereign king. Number six, resurrection. Resurrection, no fear of death. No fear of death. Hebrews two fifteen says that Christ came to flee us from lifelong slavery. Because of a fear of death. And then number seven, a new inheritance. A new inheritance. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What does that mean? It means that the things that are on this list right now, these seven things, and this isn't by any means an exhaustive list of what benefits we get from Christ. These things, we we enjoy to an extent right now. But this inheritance, this seven things and many more, are being kept in heaven. So when Christ comes back, we will, we will experience them to the fullest. We've been forgiven of sins, but I guarantee you every one of us in here feels guilt over sins that we commit still. Right? Like, the hardest thing is to convince ourselves that we've been forgiven of bad choices that we've made. When Christ comes back, no more guilt because we're completely free from sin, which means for the first time we will really understand what forgiveness of sin means. We'll really understand what it means to have access to the Father. We will fully understand what it means to to not have anything to worry about. So we experience these things to a degree right now, but they're kept in heaven where they don't perish, where they don't fade, where they're not going to forsake us. When Jesus comes back, we get it all. It's an inheritance that's better than any type of inheritance we could get here on this earth. So as a disciple, application as a disciple of Christ... I have a responsibility to be rich in good works, with the use of my money by being generous and willing to share, focusing on the future hope that I have been granted, which is my true life. I leave you with First Corinthians or First Timothy six nineteen to think about this week as we seek to apply it next week. It says storing up treasure or. Uh, Um, let's start in verse 17. says for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So the questions that I give you, do I use my money any differently than an unbeliever? If we don't, then something's wrong. If the distribution of your money looks no different than an unbeliever, something is radically wrong. If your money is simply used to meet daily needs, just like an unbeliever pursues. Remember, Jesus says, lost people pursue what they're going to eat and wear tomorrow. So if our bank account reflects a pursuit of eating and what we're going to wear, something's radically wrong. Does the use of your money look different than an unbeliever? Secondly, do I enjoy any luxuries in my life that have now become needs for me? We're not talking about giving up luxuries right now. We're just talking about are there things that are are luxuries that you would probably be hesitant to give up right now? That you need to pray through and adjust and allow them to, to become what they are and that's luxury. Doesn't mean we're getting rid of them just means they need to be categorized correctly. And then lastly, because 1 Timothy 6, 18 says that we're to be generous. What would it look like for me to live a generous life? To not think about this question. To not think about this question. Is to ignore what scripture says to be a hearer and not a doer. Challenge you last week. We're not coming to watch a movie here. You're not coming to be entertained by me to then leave and go home and say, well, was that good today or was that not so good today? We come here to take what Scripture says and make it happen in our life, at home, and happen together. This passage says we have to be generous. What does it look like for you personally to be generous with your money? Ephesians 4.28, you work, not so you can take care of yourself, but so that you can give to other people in need. I want to encourage you this week to begin thinking about what it would look like for you to take your money and begin to be generous with it. What does it look like for you to apply this passage of Scripture? All right, any questions about it? I know that was a, a lot of stuff. I actually took out some of the stuff that I was going to say for the, for the first time. I moved it to next week. I got done this morning and I was like, that ain't happening. That's, that's too much. Any questions about that stuff? Any thoughts you want to share about what you're thinking after hearing some of that stuff? Seeing some of those passages in context with other passages? I don't know how you can do this, but I'd like to see our church um, be willing to share needs. Because a lot of times people in the church hide their needs because uh, they're embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. Um, we've talked about wanting to be a church that aligns itself more with what the Book of Acts church was doing. You see, in the Book of Acts, giving money to the church so that people in the church could have their needs met, which meant somehow needs had to be expressed. There needed to be some type of confidence that. If I come to express a need, I'm not going to be rejected. Um, but I would say right now we're in a we're in a in a culture that I want to change, where we hide our needs, we're ashamed of our needs, we'll try to take care of our own needs. That we're it's completely foreign to even think about relying on a church to take care of us when we're in need. Um, it needs to become common practice within this church. That when somebody has a need, it can be expressed and there's a a natural response to meet that need. Because this is our, our faith family, our fellowship. And we're going to talk about how we're going to do that. But we won't get to that point unless we get this point today that we don't need money the same way anymore. Because if we just come into this still needing money like we did before we were saved, when we started saying, hey, so-and-so's got a need, we're going to look at that and say, well, they need to take care of that, don't they? Because i got my own problems over here. I mean, it's pretty radical for 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 the men or just anybody that's single who who makes the money for your family to begin to evaluate and say, we got to change some stuff because there's going to be people who have need. There's going to be Deuteronomy says uh, your your area will always have poor people, but then it, it also alludes and says there shouldn't be poor people. Like same passage, like there'll never be a lack of poor people, but there shouldn't be poor people um, because you should be taking care of that. We've got to need money differently to make that happen. Any thoughts or questions? Ooh, the battery is about to die. Just on time. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we can eat. Um, as soon as I'm done praying, I'm going to give you a couple updates on some announcement stuff, and then uh, then we'll eat. So let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We um, thank you so much that you've given us your word so that we can learn how to live our life in a way that is pleasing to you, but really is ultimately pleasing to us. I mean, Jesus came and told us that he's offering us the abundant life. And so to some degree, we want to know this stuff because we we recognize that this is the best life for us to live this way. Um, And so, God, I pray that we'd see your commands and your guidelines in scripture as a good thing. God, I pray for the people in this church that that we would be free from the love of money. That we would recognize we do not need money like a lost person. A lost person has no guarantee that they're going to be taken care of tomorrow. But you have guaranteed and promised that we will be taken care of. So God, I pray that that would be a, a very freeing truth. That we would be content with food and clothing that everything else would be viewed as a luxury that, if needed, could be given up for the gospel. God, help us to be generous people instead of greedy people. We want to be a fellowship that uses money differently so that lost people in Sanoy and in the surrounding cities will look at us and recognize that something is different, that they will see our good works and give glory and honor to you in heaven. Help us to live in reality that you are coming back for us with an inheritance that's better than anything that we could inherit here. I pray that we would live our life in such a way that reflects that, and that as we prepare for next week, you would begin to teach us how to invest in that inheritance, how to use our money differently. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, real quick updates financially. Um, You can continue to give money for the food for lunch in the box back here. Um, I sent out an email this week saying we still needed money for the city and we still needed money for the P.O. box. That was actually taken care of last week once Ben came home and was able to count the money. So those things I think have been taken care of. We still need money to make our church a nonprofit organization that can get a bank account. They can get a tax ID so that we don't pay taxes on what we're bringing in. Um, so I'll update you this week. I went ahead and got the P.O. Box. It is um, it's on the website now, so you can go on the website and see our actual P.O. Box address in downtown Sonoy. Um, we are on the Gospel Coalition website now, so you can, um, if you want to search that, just to see us show up on the map. Um and you can do that. It's kind of cool. For like a little while, we were like on the sidebar. He said like new churches that that are new to Gospel Coalition. It said Sovereign Hope, annoying. I was like, yeah. yeah. There was two of them because I put uh, I messed up the website address, and so I had to. It won't let me delete it, so I had to re-enter us. But because it's the exact same address, it like just threw us on top of the other one, so you can't see two of them. Um, We're all working on a budget and membership information. Those will be revealed in July once we kind of come through this study. There is the Kids Water Day this Saturday, June 18th at 12. Is that what we said? 12 o'clock. We will have lunch and stuff. So if you guys want to come, even if you don't have kids and you just want to come hang out, um, you can do that. Kind of come and stop in and then leave. Come hang out for a little bit. Go to Noonan and do fun stuff down there. Whatever. I'm just saying that because that's what I'm thinking about doing is, like, we come here and then maybe go to Noonan. Um, and then the Men's Disc Golf Day is June 24th. That's a Friday. Um, we'll meet up either at my apartment or in Peachtree City. If you don't have this, we've got plenty of discs for you to go play Frisbee golf with us. And then we're going to eat that night as well. Um, we'll give you a little bit more information about that. Um, I've emailed times and stuff, but I don't have them in front of me right now. Um, continue to pray for... Jessica, who's at Snowbird, who's listening in with us this morning. Um, they just wrapped up week number two. And then pray for Chris Henson, who left this week to go to Uganda. He'll be gone until July 15th. Um, so pray for both of them as they're away from us. And um, Lizzie's going to be leaving actually go to Indonesia, not for a mission trip, but to go spend time with her dad, who lives there. I mean, that's crazy. She'll be gone in Indonesia for like two weeks. So we'll pray for Lizzie as well as she's awake. Um, I think that's it. Any questions about any of that? Adam, the city is an ongoing thing too. So people are giving money and we have extra that was given specifically for the city. We'll supply that in future months because it's a monthly Yes, it's $19 a month. So if there was money given, we're keeping that in a spreadsheet out there that shows the extra and we apply it to the month. And until we get the budget in your hands, if you want money that you're giving, Designated to a certain purpose, either give that to me or Ben or Adam or Tyson personally and say, This is for the city or this is for the nonprofit status. Otherwise, if there's excess money in the box, we'll just apply it to that. So we don't want there to be any confusion like, Hey, I was giving my money to food and you used it on a post office box. Unless you designate it, then we're going to take the approach that if there's excess, then we'll use it for other purposes. If you specifically want it to go to something, like um, Will handed me some money last week and said, hey, this needs to go to Ben to reimburse for the city, that goes straight to Ben because Will tells me that's what it needs to be used for. So if you have something that you're like, hey, I really want to use it for this, then just let us know that in advance. All right? All right. You guys can uh, start moving in that direction. They're working on getting the food set up. Uh, If you want to come say something. Jessica, are you still there? Jessica? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Yeah, here. If you want to say hey to yeah, Jessica, I'll leave the computer open My until... Hey, Caitlin's here, too. Who? My friend Caitlin came to church, too. Um, hey, Caitlin. Um, if you want to say hey to Jessica or Caitlin, you can come up here and do that until the battery dies, which is going to be in three minutes. So...